0: Before we we get too far, um, we have some amazing little people in the room with us right now. And they're going to start delivering flowers to every lady in the room. So go ahead and start bringing the flowers if you guys got flowers. We want to make sure every lady gets a flower because we recognize that God has given you a special role in our society and in our lives. And whether you're a mom now or you're playing that role or you're going to be a mom in the future, we want to make sure you know that we love you. That we're thankful for you, and that you're incredible. So thank you so much for all that you do. All right. And while they're delivering, I want to show you a couple pictures. We had some baby dedications at first service today, and so I want to introduce you to them. We'll go ahead and put um, the first picture of, I believe, Gabe up here. Now, when we do a baby dedication, church, there's two pieces to it. One is we ask the parents to commit to raising their child in a house that is filled with faith, studying scripture, praying, being involved in church and helping nurture that child's faith as it grows. But the second part of baby dedication is we as a church are making a promise to that child as we dedicate them to the Lord. We as a church are promising to our children that they'll have a place to grow in their faith that was designed for them, designed to help them. And so, we as a church, I want you to know we may, we're making that commitment to Gabriel um, Ray Mueller today, as well as Aspen Ray Lynn. Look at Aspen. Is she not just the cutest little bean you've ever seen? Look at her. She's amazing. Um, go to the next picture, too. Got a good picture of her bow. Aspen is a fighter, man. She's been through some eye surgeries already as a child, and she has just been incredible through them. She's the sweetest little girl, and God has had his hand on her already in her young life. And so can we just celebrate those two kids real quick? Like, I'm so excited about them. All right. Thank you, kiddos. I appreciate your help in delivering those. You guys are awesome. Have a, have a fun time back in kids' ministry. Yeah. All right. We are into week three of our series, Me and My Big Mouth. And if you haven't been here yet, or if you've been here through the first two, or if you forgot we were doing this and you're like, I was going to skip the rest of that because I am not trying to hear that right now, but you're here, so you've got to listen. But I always want to draw our attention to in this series that the title is Me in My Big Mouth. Not my mother-in-law and her big mouth. Not my sister and her big mouth. Not my husband, not my wife. This is not the appropriate series to tag someone in online on Facebook and be like, hey, you need this. That's not what this is about. Don't be thinking about anybody else. Think about yourself, all right? So as we get started, go ahead and say the series title with me. Me and my big mouth. One more time. Me and my big mouth. Because the fact is, there's room for God to work on, each one of us, in the area of how we speak. And I know that as I've prepared these messages, it has been good, it has been challenging, it has been difficult, because this area is, it's connected to our emotions, it's connected to our ego, it's connected to our sense of pride, and, and that just, it, it makes things challenging when you add other people in the mix who are fighting the same fight in a different way. And so, I, at the beginning of this, I want to just let you know I'm on the same page with you. This is hard. This is difficult. This is not easy. We will not be perfect in this, but this is something that's so important. Week one, we talked about the fact that we know when we look in the mirror, other people's words in our life have been so powerful that it's shaped the way that we see ourselves. I mean, words are powerful. And we, we need to be, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And that's what we talked about the first week. The second week, we, we talked about the immense power of our words and about the fact that, you know, if Christ is in our life, then we shouldn't have, like a stream, we shouldn't be producing both bitter and sweet water. We should be speaking out of, out of that, that well of Christ being in our life now into week three, we're getting into a passage that is so close to my heart. Ephesians 4.29. It's one of the first passages I ever committed to memory. And and it's just a rich passage when it gets to this topic about what we say. And and as we, one last footnote before we get into it for today. It's tempting to just kind of write it off and be like, words, you know, it's just words. Like, I I didn't really mean it that way. It's really easy to take this lightly. Who we'll really let scripture provide the understanding of how important our words are and what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. Let's let God guide that and let's see that in the scripture today. So if you have your Bible with you, you can open to Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna start at verse 29 and we'll of course project the words on the screen as I read them. So starting with verse 29, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now it starts off with, do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, which this kind of goes in the face of the rule that we learned in kindergarten, that it's just no swear words, like no profanity, no curse words. Like that was always the boundary that we were given growing up. But scripture actually has a difficult, uh, a, a larger restriction on what it says should be defining the way that we speak. And it uses the term unwholesome. And within the Greek language that this was written in, it really paints pictures of each word. Each word is very much a picture of something. And the word unwholesome here describes something that is spoiled. Something that has a smell to it because it's spoiled. Don't let anything that is spoiled and and, and decaying come out of your mouth. And as a Southwest Florida person, when I thought, okay, so what is something that has a strong smell to it, kind of as it's decaying? And I'm like, man, the smell that I think of that best kind of describes this word picture is, you guys are familiar with trash can juice, I'm not the only one, right? Like after my trash can has been in my garage for about five days at 95 degrees with trash bags in it, there's this mixture that happens at the bottom and it creates this terrible, terrible vomit-inducing odor. And it's that, that pungent smell. And that's the description. That's the picture that's trying to be painted with this. And, and we know we would never want to pour a cup of that and put it into our mouth but the truth is, with the words that we've said, it's like something almost as vulgar as disgusting has frequently come out of our mouth. Words that, that scripturally would say, that, that is unwholesome, that, that's, that's come out. And this is not just talking about profanity or swear words. It, it's, the passage is beginning to paint a picture that this is what's not supposed to come out of you. And to tie it back to the passage that we looked at before, that it's that, that, that picture of a tree, it doesn't produce two kinds of fruit. A spring doesn't release both fresh and salt water. And so the spring that's at the center of your life, it should be producing something that is consistent. And it should not be unwholesome in nature, but only what is helpful for building others up. So it starts with a picture of don't let anything that's spoiled, don't let anything that's unwholesome come out of your mouth. And that's kind of the negative side. And here's the positive. Here's what you are supposed to do side. It's supposed to be what comes out of our mouth is helpful for building other people up, and it begins to paint this picture of building. And I you know, to try to do something to help us understand this better, I brought my toolbox with me, and the fact is that um, it, psychology uses this illustration as well as I believe, it's very scriptural, that, that we all kind of have this, this toolbox that we bring around with us, that when we're faced with a problem, when we're faced with something that needs to be fixed. We reach into our toolbox to fix the, the issue. But the only tools that you have in there are the tools that you've seen, that you've experienced. And for a lot of us, with the household that we grew up in, the tools that we have, they're not really great at solving life's issues. They, they can be very problematic at times, actually. So, you know, I'm gonna start with this. Like, say, you know, my, my kid, the wheel is not on straight with my kid right now. Like, like the behavior is messed up. And so this would probably benefit from some needle nose pliers or something to straighten out this wheel, but I don't have an instrument that's quite as precise as that. So I'll just go with what, um, what worked when I was a kid, what my parents did the way that I was raised. And so rather than, you know, needle nose pliers, like this will fix it. Like this one makes noise. So this is going to be fun for me. I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah. Um, but the, the, wheel, the wheel is messed up. My kid is acting up. And so I reach into my toolbox of how I fix my kid's behavior. And I apply the only tools that I've experienced, seen, and have been given. And I fix the issue. And you know what? My kid, um, you know, they're gonna get what I got. I, I turned out just fine. I turned out okay. My parents were hard on me. And so maybe other people don't operate this way. But I'm gonna operate this way because that's what I experienced. And so they're gonna get what I got. And they're gonna be just fine the way that I was just fine. But the thing is, The people around you, because of the emotion and the anger of the moment, it's not the right time for them to tell you, but you didn't turn out just fine. (laughs) You're not just okay. You're overreacting to the situation. You're applying anger and intimidation in a way to your kid that you shouldn't, that it's not beneficial to them. And the truth is, and the thing that I can tell you here, that probably people around you couldn't tell you in a moment like that, if that was your experience, is that there's probably things in you that were hurt and you haven't healed from yet. And for you to admit that what you experienced growing up wasn't the best method, that would mean you admitting that you got hurt. And that would mean that you have to heal from something. and Maybe your pride and your ego isn't ready for that yet. And so you just keep, you, you use the hammer on the kids because that's the only thing that you've known. Or maybe, you know, your friendships, your relationships with some of your family it's like, you know, it's, there, there's a smudge on our family. Like, there is a problem with this picture. This picture was supposed to look all nice and pretty. And, you know, rather than just having some Windex and a rag, you know, I reach in and guess what I have in my toolbox? I have a hammer. And so a small thing in our family, you know, that's how I'm going to fix it. And that's how I fix my problems. And you know what happens in the family household? But it, it, it happens at work, too. And, and so my, the way that I fix things in, that's going to fall. That's all right. The way that I fix things at work is the way that I fix things with my kids. This is the way that I work, fix things in my family. And when I get mad at work, when someone disagrees with me, when I don't know how to handle a situation at work, I reach in my toolbox and I pull out the only tools that I've been given. And Scripture talks about what we're supposed to use our words for is not for deconstructing and ripping apart people. Our words are supposed to be for building someone up. And if we're going to build people up, then we need to find the right tool for the given situation. And this is the reality of the passage. It tells us that we need to build people up because this is something that we can do. This is something that we can choose to do. And the reality, in order to build them up, we have to add tools to our toolbox that maybe we didn't grow up with. We might have to go and watch someone else and see and learn from them. We might have to read a book. We might have to look at some YouTube videos. We might have to just hit pause on our mouth for a few minutes and be slow to speak so that we can do what we need to do to build someone else up. And and this illustration, I mean, this is from psychology, um, Maslow's hammer. His famous quote was to he who only has a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And this is true in, this illustration is used in psychology, it's used in software design, because it's true, people just tend to always solve problems the way that they've only ever tried to solve them before, and it's hard for us to reach out and do something different. But the calling on us is to do what, it, what needs to be done in order to, as the passage says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We have to look at them and we have to figure out what can I do to help and encourage them. And many times for many of us, because of our upbringing, because of our background, because of the first place that we worked or the only place that we worked or the situations that we were shoved into, we need to learn skills and behaviors and statements and words that haven't been part of our vocabulary. Because there should be an objective that is tied to what we speak. And it's not just to silence people, it's not just to shut them up, it's not just to keep us in control, but it is to build up and benefit the person who is listening. I mean, this is, this is the target. The target is to be of benefit to the person that we are speaking in front of. And our world, man, our world is filled with so many people who are just ready to criticize. And because we live here we as a church in America have just been drawn into the same type of speech where we're in this chair of criticizing and judging who's better than who, who does this the best, and we just, it's just critical statements all the time of how we see that things could be better, but we very rarely speak to what's going on that is great. And so many people in our church, so many people in our city, so many people in our schools are, are starving for some sort of life to get spoken into them. And we as the church, we have that calling. There, there, you've had times in your life where someone said to you some sentence and your reply to them was, what do you mean by that? Because you knew that there was a little bit of a hidden, hidden meaning behind what they said, but before you freaked out, you wanted, to, you wanted to give them a chance and you said, okay, what did you mean by that statement? In the same way that you know that there's intention behind people's statements sometimes, there needs to be intention behind our statements. There needs to be a heart behind our statements to people that we have the intention of building them up with our words. And and this is the contrast. It's not just God's instruction to us is not just don't say bad stuff. I mean, that is just so missing the heartbeat of God. It's not just avoid sin and mistakes. The heartbeat is there. You have to avoid this because that's taking up occupancy of where this is supposed to live unwholesome, spoiled, rotten words don't deserve a place in our mouth because what is supposed to be coming and flowing out of our mouth is life, is encouragement, is love. And don't get me wrong, sometimes the most loving, honest, best thing that you can give, sentence that you can speak to someone, sometimes it feels like a foot in the butt. Like sometimes it feels like I just got kicked in the pants and I don't like it. And sometimes that's the encouragement that someone needs, but that's not all that they need alongside a harsh rebuke, there also should be encouragement. There should be love. There, there should be wisdom. There, there should be the statements of, I see these gifts in you. Those things should always go alongside. And so if you've only been living in the category of harsh, rough statements of criticism, i tell you, God has a mission for the words that you say. And it's to build other people up. And so here, here's the first statement that I want to give to you, church, today. That This is a choice that we have to make. And, and it's, I want you to choose to be an encourager. The world has plenty of critics already. No, one, no, no one's going to be in trouble because they don't have enough criticism around them in their life. Social media has filled everybody's quota. We've got enough now. But even with social media and all this opportunity to speak words to someone else in, in, a, in a millisecond through text message, Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, we still as a society are in this place where encouragement just rarely happens and I don't know why it feels so hard. I don't know why it feels like there's such a hurdle to say a kind and encouraging and affirming statement to someone else. But for whatever reason, there is a battle within us about it. And, and I, <laughs> this, is in, this is important, but I, I love how the, the passage connects the heart of God to this because look at where verse thirty takes a turn after it says, you know, building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And then it gets into verse 30 where it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I mean, do you, do you see the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit on this? That, that his emotion is tied to, I mean, do you realize that God feels emotions? That, that scripture talks about righteous anger, righteous jealousy, that God actually has feelings about your day-to-day life. That he has a heartbeat for how he wants you to live. And scripture here is very clear that says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we miss out on this, when we don't realize what's going on. And, you know, I don't know, it's Mother's Day, so we got to talk about some mom stuff. Uh, I don't know if your mom ever pulled this Jedi mind trick on you before when you got caught doing something you shouldn't have done and she threw a statement like this at you. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed that's right and, and you hear that and you're like can't you just be angry it would be better if you were just angry don't pull the disappointed thing it's easier you know get the spanking whatever angry overdone but disappointed is like i have to rebuild and everything but you know if a stranger came to you and said i'm just disappointed in you you'd be like i don't even know you go back to your life like that doesn't matter i don't care if you're disappointed But disappointment within the context of a relationship where there's love and and there's caring between the two, I mean, it it matters because you care about them. And, And so much of this topic, I mean, and once again, this is why we can't apply this to someone else. You apply this to you because if you love God, if you say, I have placed my life and my faith into your hands, and you respond to him with love, which is what scripture wants, tells us that God wants. He wants our love. He wants our obedience because of our love, not just our, our, our obedience. There should be a part of us that when we realize, man, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. Like when I, when I do this, when I speak this way, when I act this way, I know that that grieves the Holy Spirit. And I just, I don't want that to be my life. I wanna, I wanna bring honor and praise to him. And, and that should be a motivator. And, and this concept throughout scripture It's tied to the more that you grieve the Holy Spirit of God, the less that you hear him. That that you become callous to him, that that he actually will almost begin to oppose you and become your enemy. And and that's what it it talks about, the, the Old Testament, when it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And this is a reality. Maybe early on in your faith, you had a sense of, you know, I probably shouldn't speak this way. But as the Holy Spirit pushed on you about the way that you spoke and you just continued to ignore him, it's like you don't even sense that, that voice in your life anymore. And, it, and if God begins speaking to you today for the first time in a long time about this, don't just turn and ignore it, but lean in. And, and I, I really, man, th- this speaks to me in this sentence because it's tough. It is tough love to hear that my actions would grieve the holy spirit of god that is a tough thing to hear but it's connected within the same sentence to this thought that the holy spirit of god with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption and it's almost like that this is connected that even though you've messed up even though you've you've grieved the spirit of god in this area you have been sealed. You have been marked. You are His. On the day of redemption, you are claimed by Him. You have not, God has not said you're a lost cause, but you are still His. I mean, like as a little kid, like if you were at a little league game and you took your swing, you hit the ball, and instead of running to first base, you ran to third base, your parents might be a little disappointed, but hopefully they still put you in the car and bring you home. Like you still belong to the family. You weren't pushed out and cast out and orphaned over something like that. And that's the truth of this passage. That God's heart, his heartbeat is that we would use our words to build other people up. But even if we've been grieving the spirit of God on this, we are still his. We are still marked as his. And on the day of redemption, we are claimed as his. So God hasn't given up on you if you've completely given up on this for the last 10 years. But he calls you back to it. And why? Why would the Holy Spirit care about something that seems so insignificant as our words? Well, he cares because he cares about people. Just like we identified the truth that when we look in the mirror, so much of what we see of ourself was formed by other people's opinions, whether they were right or wrong. Our words are forming people's view of themselves. Our words are forming what, they, what their aspirations will or won't be. Our words are forming whether or not they feel like they could ever set foot into a church. I mean, when we go back to our heartbeat verse as a church, Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. God is concerned about those who are far from him. And our words play a tremendous role in those people's lives. And if they, feel, if they don't feel safe speaking anything around us because we, we, we just criticize, because we just tear down... We you know when they see, you know, the Gulf side mug on our desk at work, they're going to be like, I'm not going to that place. And, and church, I'm going to reaffirm this a few times through you. This message is not a message of be perfect with your words all the time. I, I think this message needs to be for us. My words matter. And I need to, I need to begin to aim them. Because I believe that the, the, the natural step for us to get better at this isn't like, uh, I'm going to just be, I'm, I'm gonna be flawless. Because we, we will fail with that before we get out of the parking lot. All right? But when we see and when we wake up in the morning and we say, okay, I understand that God has a mission for what I say. God has a purpose. That with these little creatures who are running around driving me crazy at times, my purpose for my words needs to be to build them up. These people that God has given me that surround me at work my purpose with what I say to them, how I say it, it needs to be to build them up. The school bells are on for some reason. It's not a fire or anything like that. Just so you know, the um, custodian, let me know that. We'll get that fixed for next week. Um, so our, our words, it needs to be a choice. We need to, you know, choose to be an, an encourager. The world, it already has plenty of critics already. And God, it's, it's close to his heart, it's dear to his heart that we would see this with importance, But the barriers that we have, the barriers that we have that I think slow us down, I believe are somewhat defined in verse 31. In verse 31 it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, when, when it begins to get, it, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, the, these are things that when they occupy space in what we say, it's, it means that there's no space for, for speaking life, for speaking love, for speaking truth, because these are occupying space. And specifically especially on the area of encouragement. And guys, man, I'm gonna press on you a little bit about this because I see this happen in my life. I've seen this happen in so many other guys' life. The real hurdle that we have to speaking encouragement is what I referred to earlier. Our past experience, we got tough love. And we didn't get encouragement. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we would probably say it wasn't always right. It wasn't always good. And there's healing that needs to occur. And so what's happened is because we're bitter about what happened in our past, we don't speak encouragement. And maybe that's a little deeper than, than some of us are willing to go on, on this thought line. But the truth is, what, what makes it hard for us to speak words like, hey man, you did a great job on that today, is because we haven't gotten many of those. And the pain of not getting those words has made us bitter. And it's so hard to encourage someone else when you feel like you need so much encouragement. But I'm going to tell you, part of the healing process is getting rid of the bitterness. Part of being able to speak and build other people up is allowing God to begin to heal these, heal these areas where, where we aren't whole yet. In, in 2015, I re-injured my shoulder and I was in this position in life where it's like I could raise my arm here and that was it. Like that, that was all. I could not raise my hand to ask a question. I could not throw a ball. And so I began to feel like, man, I don't like not being able to do things that I want to be able to do. I should probably get this looked at. I talked to a couple guys and some of the guys that I talked to actually told me, you know what? You could just live with it. It's not that bad. I live with it. I can't throw. I can't raise my arm up. And I'm like, man, that does not sound like how I want to live my life. Like, I mean, I I like being able to wash my armpit, and like, this doesn't work very well. I have young kids. I want to throw them, teach them how to throw a ball, and I don't want to teach like this. Like, I mean, I want to live a full life. And so we began the process. I went to a doctor. It was expensive. It was painful. They did the surgery, and then the worst was after that, the rehab and the getting better and stronger process. I hated it. It was rough. But now, I'm healed and whole in that area, and I can do the things that I know I should be doing. And it's possible to live your life and not be whole and not be healthy, but you're going to miss out on things. And the people around you, they're going to miss out on things. I can play volleyball with my kids now. If I chose not to go through a process to where I would heal, I wouldn't get to do that with them. In the same way, if you feel like, I just can't speak encouragement, I just can't get the words to come out, there's probably some healing that you need to go through. And I understand that it's going to mean opening up old wounds. It's going to be painful. It's going to be costly. It's going to be expensive for your ego and your pride. But if you go through it, you're going to experience healing and wholeness in a way that you haven't in a long time, and you're going to benefit from it, and the people around you are going to benefit from it. But as long as you stay bitter, you're never going to get better. And, and, and this is the truth. And this is a simple truth that I want for you. that we'll put this up on the screen. Being bitter will keep you from getting better. And specifically, I'm just going right into this area of our speech of being able to encourage others in a positive manner, in a non-destructive manner. If this is rough for you, if if it feels like jumping over an obstacle for you to get that statement out, there's probably something in your history that you still need to heal from. I want to encourage you. It hurts to open that up, but it's worth it. Got to take that, that step. But man, the people in my past, they were terrible and they don't, deserve, they don't deserve encouragement. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve for me to even think about them anymore. I want you to see what verse 32 has to say to us. This is challenging right here. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. I mean, there's, it's like, you know, I'm able to forgive people this much and I feel like a Christian should be able to forgive people this much. But scripture goes and says, you know, the the amount you should forgive, I mean, it was demonstrated on the cross. It was all the way. It was beyond socially acceptable bounds for an act of love and forgiveness. And the people in our history and the people around us, the way that we're kind to them, the way that we forgive them, the way that we love them, was demonstrated through Christ's life. And so any account we have of their wrongs, we take it, we throw it away. The way that Christ has for us, time after time, experience after experience. We get rid of the bitterness, we get rid of the malice, we, we get rid of all of those things and we are kind and compassionate to one another. Band, if you guys would make your way up on the stage, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. That's a challenging word. It's challenging to live out in the face of real hurt. But that's where we have to live it out. And when we live it out there, that's where we experience the most amount of healing in our life. You know, in my household, uh, we we stay crazy with our four kids. My um, youngest is our son. We have three girls and a little boy. And, And he completely recognizes that I'm a boy and he's a boy. And so, like, he he kind of clings to me a little bit, which I, I love. Um, I'm invested in him. Uh, we have fun together. It backfires on me sometimes because he's like, I have a poopy diaper and I want daddy to change it. And I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> like, that's, that wasn't part of the plan. Like, I want, I want dad to, to lay me down. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it produces these, these extra work moments in my life sometimes. And sometimes my wife is like, not cool with it. She's like, I'm supposed to rock him to sleep, but he's asking you. But I'll tell you, in his life, um, when he gets hurt, he doesn't want dad's kiss to fix it. Like That's one of the times where it's like, I just lose 100% of the time. Like, like He wants mom in those situations. And within our household, it's funny because sometimes he needs a word from me and sometimes he needs a word or encouragement or a kiss or care from her. But neither one of us can fix all of his issues. No, neither one of us can fix all of the stuff that he has going on, even in his little two-year-old life. And around you, there might be a situation that's close to your heart and in your face right now, and you'd be like, no matter how calm, no matter how kind, no matter how loving I am, I can't fix all of the situation. And I'll tell you, you don't have to fix it all. You have a unique voice. You have a unique gift and you have a unique opportunity to be part of how God is going to work in their life. And we will choose. You will choose. You will make a choice. You are not naturally cast into one area or the other, but you will make a choice if you will use your words to tear them down or you will use your words to speak life given your unique voice, given your unique opportunity, and given the fact that Christ is a part of your life, let's decide. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak love. I'm going to speak encouragement. I'm going to deal with the past so I can get better, so that I can get over these hurdles, and so that I can be the person who uses my words to build other people pray. Father, we recognize that we have failed in this area at different times. We recognize that we have joined the chorus and the crowd of criticizing and tearing people down. We've let unwholesome words come out of our mouth, and we confess, and we repent, and we turn from that in this moment, and we look towards this day and this week And we we pray that you give us the mindset and the courage to speak life, to speak authentic encouragement, to talk about the great things that we see you doing in someone else. We ask that moving forward, you would give us an awareness of the power of our words and the way that we speak them so that as we go into our week amongst our family, amongst our workplace and our schools, as we go into these places, that we would be a source of light that is shining so, so bright to each one of them where they sense that God is speaking, that God is moving, that God's love is real because of these voices that are surrounding us. Father, we we give you authority to work in our life. We give you authority to do some surgery if we need it. We give you authority to make the changes. Because we know your ways are higher and we know your ways are better. So be at work in us in Jesus' name.